0: Yes, yes, I I know, I know. Are are we recording? Okay. Hello to whoever's out there listening. Sorry if I'm whispering and still sound a little shaky. The weirdest thing just happened. My good friend Tim and I... We were just cleaning out the attic of this huge old mansion, and found... something. What? Yes, okay. Sorry, listeners. My friend Tim just told me to calm down and explain to you what happened. Okay, so Tim is a sound guy. And I'm an actor, and a writer, and we planned to rent this place to build a little recording studio. We met with the landlord, Mr. Pitteret. He gave us the keys to the attic of his place, which, if I haven't mentioned yet, is an incredibly huge old mansion. The rent he offered was super low, and his only condition was that we shouldn't bother him with any of the stuff in the attic. Either we throw it all away, or we keep it, but don't bring any of it to him. Those were his exact words. So, that is what we just did. We cleaned the attic. Everything was going fine. Until Tim heard a clicking sound from a corner filled with old boxes and shelves. We cleaned out the corner, and then we found a strange glowing machine that was constantly changing colors. It is hard to describe, listeners, and, and I have never seen anything like it in my life. Tim was the first to touch it, and ever since, he is unable to speak. This was maybe five minutes ago. The weirdest thing is that he's still communicating, but instead of words, now he just makes these weird sound effects whenever he opens his mouth even stranger is that I can somehow understand what he's saying. Perhaps because I was standing right next to him when he touched the machine. He seems perfectly happy with his new way of communicating. Yeah, He says that the machine gave him the power to express himself in a way that feels more natural to him than words could ever be. Well, I don't know, Tim. It seems... Well, I don't know if that's such a good idea, Tim. He wants me to go back in and touch the machine, too. (laughs) I am not a coward! Okay, fine, I'll prove it. Okay, listeners, I am going back in now. Can you hear this sound? That's the machine. It seems like something is moving inside it. Okay. going to touch it now ready one two three something just popped out of the machine and is rolling over the floor I think it's a a marble yes definitely. A marble. I'm holding it in my hands as I speak. It is white and about the size of my thumbnail. Cloud cloak white? What does that mean? The machine told you? You want me to what? Tim says the machine wants me to put the marble in my mouth. How do you know that? Okay, for all you listeners out there who can't see what I'm seeing, Tim is shrugging his shoulders and says that he is somehow connected to the machine's brain. It has a brain? Tim says that the machine is a marble machine and that every marble contains a story of some sort. The different colors mean different content. The one that I'm holding in my hand right now is a cloud cloak white marble. It is the first marble every real marble machine gives out, and it contains a poem to invoke the muses. Hmm, Interesting. Once this poem is spoken, the marble machine will produce more marbles and more stories. This is crazy. I can't believe you want me to swallow the marble. Well, no risk, no fun, I guess. Oh. Invoking the Muses Written and narrated by Jacob Graff Recorded and edited by Tim Höfer All the good spirits and all the good gods, All the angels and fairies whose names have been lost, Who throughout time have helped artists create, who delivered the spark that made their work great, I summon thee and thank thee in advance for sparing just a little glance, a sprinkle of ideas or words of wisdom for this tale, so that its message may prevail and in our world create another world of love, of pain, of struggles overcome and dealings with desire, so that when a million ears are touched by it, they will all be inspired. Okay, wow, that was amazing. It was like the Marble Machine took over my brain and... (gasps) Oh, listeners, the Marble Machine just dropped another marble. This one is white too, but a little grayer, I would say. And bigger. Maybe the size of a quarter. According to Tim, this is a classic snow-white marble. Its stories are always somehow related to Christmas or winter. They're suitable for children and adults of all ages, and usually not longer than 10 minutes. Yeah, I thought I would have to... Can I chew it? Okay, folks. Here goes. The Snowball Effect Written and narrated by Jacob Graf, Recorded and edited by Tim Höfer For seventy years the lesson Clarence was about to learn would stick with him. The cold wind froze the fluids coming out of his nose. He zipped up his jacket and bent down to test the texture of the snow with his gloved hands. The school's annual snowball event had already started. Walls of snow and small fortresses made the big field look like a little arctic village. The teams had been picked and all the teachers were on duty to supervise that nothing went wrong. The headmaster himself stood on a wooden podium with a megaphone. No whitewashing! He would shout occasionally if one of the kids got too carried away. It was a miraculous madness. Snowballs were whizzing past like comets with fine net-like white flake tails. In some places where the fighting was extraordinarily vicious, there was such a flurry of snow that it blurred out bits of the battlefield and made it hard for Clarence to see who was involved in the fighting. Today he was going to ask Zoe from 7th grade if she would go to the dance with him. He had prepared to talk to Zoe ever since the school had announced the annual Christmas snow brawl on the assembly hall blackboard. The preparation had consisted partly of choosing the right words in the right moment, but mostly of building up willpower and courage to go and talk to her. The snowball fight was the perfect event because no one would pay attention if he approached her he saw his classmates team up by one of the walls. Over here, Clarence, his friend Nimesh called. I got you covered. Clarence ignored him and passed the safe house of his team and fell into a run across the open field, avoiding most snowballs as he swiftly moved to another snow wall where some girls of Zoe's class were seeking shelter. Their eyes met as Zoe jumped over the wall to meet her teammates. Clarence smiled at her. His heart was pounding faster, but his confidence was fully restored when she returned the smile. That was all he needed to see. What are you doing? Zoe asked when the intruder entered their threshold. I... I wanted to ask you... Kill the enemy! A voice shouted as a shadow flew over the wall. Todd McNeil! A big kid from Zoe's class leaped right onto Clarence, smashing his body down to the ground, pummeling his face with fists full of snow. Clarence struggled to get free as hard as he could, but Todd was too heavy and strong. There was no getting out. Zoe and the other girls stood there laughing at him as more and more people from Todd's team gathered around to mock the humiliated prisoner. Just before the principal saw what was going on, Todd stuffed a huge load of snow down Clarence's underwear. Come on, Todd. No whitewashing! The principal called over the megaphone, but even he chuckled. With all eyes on him, Clarence found himself in a weird spot. In his head, talking to Zoe always played out to be a very private encounter. All of his preparation was down the drain now, and Clarence's courage had been crushed. Engulfed by a cocoon of shame, he felt paralyzed. He was left with only two options. The first was that he could accept defeat, never speak to Zoe again, and forget that the whole incident ever happened. The other option was, well, Clarence didn't really know what it was, but he knew that it was there, and that if he went for it, he wouldn't be in control of what might happen. It involved beating down the voice that told him to just close his eyes and wait until it's all over. The other option lay in his stomach in the same region where his courage had been just before talking to Zoe. He felt himself tap into that area and as he did, senses far more delicate than anything he ever knew took over. What moved him was something older than mankind itself. Something that only presents itself when there is great resistance that needs to be overcome. Clarence followed it and would continue to do so many more times throughout his life. He felt his hands forming a snowball and set it aside. Then another. He weighed the two weapons in his hands, got up, burst out into a warrior's cry, and stormed past Todd, who was slowly trotting toward the principal to receive his lecture. Clarence, too, was heading toward the principal. Mr. Paduano! He shouted the principal's name and planted his first snowball right between the headmaster's eyes. The second caught Mr. Paduano right underneath the chin. The attack gave Clarence enough time to grab the megaphone from the principal's hands, stand on the podium to face the crowd, and deliver his message. Zoe, I love you. Please, please go to the next school dance with me. The entire field froze. Everyone stared at the pale-faced, skinny sixth grader who had just taken on the principal in a one-on-one snowball duel and stolen the megaphone. Clarence didn't see any of the other people. All he saw was the look on Zoe's face, and then, for a fraction of a second, she blushed and smiled at him. The principal, meanwhile recovered from the attack, took control again and was ready to cut this young man down to size. But Clarence wasn't worried about that either, for in this moment, that lasted for a lifetime, he was the king of the hill. Clarence opened his eyes and felt exactly what he had felt 70 years ago. When he took over that podium, he called it the snowball effect. Over the years he had gotten more used to it, but even now, as a grandfather of 81 years of age, there was still very little he could do to control it. The snowball effect was seldom a sensible decision, yet somehow, somewhere down the road, it turned out to be good for something. Clarence decided to sit back and enjoy the ride. He had left the hospital in the middle of the night without anyone's permission. There was just no way Clarence was going to spend another Christmas alone in the hospital, away from his children and grandchildren. All he could think of was the look on their faces when he knocked on their door this Christmas Eve. The needle of the intravenous infusion was still stuck in his arm. He pulled it out and went through the airport security check. Once again... He felt like the king of the hill. Welcome back, listeners. I hope you enjoyed the story. It seems like the marble machine is sleeping now. It is glowing in a dim, yellowish light and not making any more clicking noises. The other noise you are hearing is Tim snoring next to the machine. To be honest, my eyelids are also feeling a little heavy. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Marble Machine Podcast. Also, check out our website for news and behind-the-scenes material. Hear us soon, and be on the lookout for the next Marble Will Drop.